Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz on the phone lines with me. Check out all of our stories at themichiganinsider.com and michigan.247sports.com. Lots of, we are officially in football preseason content mode, and we are looking at, I've got my most important players countdown, uh, three big questions about each position group, ranking some of the players Michigan's going to face. Big Ten Media Days are coming up later on this week. We'll have a Big Ten Media Days preview podcast, and so you'll get to hear some of my thoughts on that. Uh, but this this podcast, we're just going to do questions. You know, there's no no major pressing topic, but there are some little things that, that, that some of our listeners want to have addressed, of course, in the future. If you want to get a question answered on air, underscore Zach Shaw is my Twitter handle. Uh, I, if you want to contact me another way, you can, but that's probably the best way to reach me. And so, Steve, first question comes from, uh, let's, you want to start with team or recruiting first? I don't care. Whatever you want to do. By the way, can I say one quick thing real quick? Sure. And for anybody listening out there, we've never really done this, Zach, but we should do this. Rate, can you, if you could rate our podcast on yes. any yes. area that you want to rate a podcast or can rate a podcast, we'd really appreciate a rating on the podcast. It gives us a little bit more visibility. It kind of helps with the... I mean, I'm just going to be honest. Uh, it, it helps with the algorithm. It helps us get more downloads yeah. and views and whatever, you know. So uh, if you could rate us, that'd be great. Uh, it'd be very appreciated, you know, for those who have listened faithfully or people that listen frequently yeah. that haven't done that yet. It'd be really greatly appreciated if you do that. Yeah. You're going to say it now and not the end in case people kind of <laughs> tune out. Know, right. Right. Once they the hear end, the music, so. they, they. Yeah, no, we're out of here. Yeah, um, so I get it. Yeah, yeah, definitely rate us, especially if you like us. That that helps that helps us happen more and more. Uh, if you are like that one commenter on iTunes who said, "I I am diarrhea of the mouth," I don't need to see your rating anymore. Uh, I've seen enough from you. <laughs> that was funny. I actually did see that. That was pretty. That was funny, man. Some people. We've had a lot of nice comments, and and they they're probably more worth noting than that guy. But I remember that, and I was like. Well, one of the there was one one star rating, and it's a it's an Ohio State fan who just decided to just come on and give our podcast a one star because it's Michigan, you know. So oh. <laughs> uh, not a surprise there, but it's weird. Know, I'm probably higher in Ohio State than a lot of Michigan podcasters, but that oh doesn't well. matter. Oh well. Really matter, so anyway, on to the team questions. Let's start with Neil, our man Neil, who does the over unders throughout the season. Uh, one, if Hill and Thomas are CB1 and CB2, best guess is at who will emerge as the CB3 and CB4. I actually think this is teetering on layup slam dunk territory. Vincent Gray was very continue continued the heavy praise. Um, I think he and Tom, and Ambry are actually going to fight a little bit for CB2. I think Tom, Thomas's ceiling's a little bit higher, so I would project him to be the starter especially since Michigan doesn't play any good quarterbacks until October. I, I could see, yeah. I could see, well, I, I did the uh, ranking the quarterbacks Michigan will face uh, week one. It's going to be a new starter. I mean, Brent stock still was their starter for four years. He was the coach's son. Now they have somebody new week two army, um, not a passing attack by any stretch then a bye week, and then Wisconsin will have a new starter too, and that'll be their first real test. You know, Jack Cohn is fine, uh, and and Graham Mertz was a really highly rated recruit, I think 65th in the composite. 
Yeah, but, true freshman, though. but they're it's going to be someone new, you know. It's not yeah. going to be someone who's been yeah. in that situation. So, so interesting. I think I think Michigan gets to tinker a little bit with its cornerbacks. That's probably more so than any other position group. They get to kind of take their time a little bit and figure out who's best. But obviously, Vert Hill start uh, Ambry Thomas, Vincent Gray. I think that could be a battle. And then my fourth cornerback for Michigan. I'm going to go with Jalen Kelly-Powell. I think he moved around a lot, Viper, safety, nickel. Uh, I'm not sure exactly if he's full-time cornerback. I could see him being a little bit of a of a nickel still, but I it sounds like this spring he found something at the cornerback position and, and started to move up the depth chart a little bit. Any any I mean who's who are your 3 and 4 and then are there any sleepers? I I know that there are some corner. I mean, they've recruited a lot of cornerbacks, and they haven't all played. But anyone stand out as maybe a dark horse candidate in addition to those four? Jamon Green be the other one for okay. me for sure. Uh, had a really strong finish to the spring. Hmm. Okay. And again, as a guy we look at as you know was one of their very very top targets at cornerback in that cycle, not like a late flyer guy, even though ironically Gray was sort of a late, more, I wouldn't say late flyer, more of a late bloomer. You know, I think Penn State, the UCLA, Oregon all offered Gray really late in the process. Probably would have finished higher if he had maybe had an opportunity uh, to, to show out, you know, a little bit more. Uh, but I'd probably go with Jamon Green. Okay. The other one, I'm not, I'm not sleeping on DJ Turner as a first-year guy. Not saying he will, but again, I mean, you're getting down to like fifth, sixth. You know, with, with DJ Turner, it's interesting because, and and I should probably pull up the quote, but Zordich, he was asked about some of the freshmen and the sophomore receivers, and this was when he infamously, like, basically gave a non-answer to a Miles Sims question, and right. Sims transferred like three days later. He went out of his way, and I don't think it's irrelevant because Zordich is pretty honest. He went out of his way to say, and we're really, really excited for DJ Turner to get here. And I think, I mean, obviously who Zordich likes, you know, he doesn't, he's had some really highly rated recruits, right? David Long was highly rated, LaVert Hill, Ambry Thomas, Jordan Lewis. But there have also been some guys that, that he has liked, and Vincent Gray is one of them, and I, I think DJ Turner... I don't actually know where he ended up being ranked. He might have been ranked pretty high, but it's... he stayed the exact same. He was just like, just like Green, okay, uh, a guy who stayed almost static throughout the entire process. He was an 88 rating, and I think that's where he finished, at least according to us. I'm not sure about his composite. But, mm-hmm. Sure, uh, sure. His yeah, his recruitment was like almost identical to Green's, except he had a few more like kind of big, big, big offers but was a three a high three-star guy that Michigan zoned in on immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why when people talk about, like, they were worried about or, like, concerned about how they've recruited at cornerback, um, like, these guys haven't even gotten an opportunity to show people what, they, what they're capable of because they've just had such a good crop come through. I mean, when you're going back to like Jordan Lewis, Channing, Stribling, uh, you know, that's, it's hard. I don't know. It's hard to make judgment on 
recruiting classes or recruits within a given class when those guys have had to wait because the incumbents playing ahead of them are all conference, all American type players, you know? So, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like with, so that's with, with gray and green, especially like we really haven't gotten to see what those guys can do. So it's how, you know, it's like, cause people keep bringing up cornerback this cycle. Like it's this massive need, um, it's a need. I think it is. A, I, th- I would just say it is, a, it is a need. I don't think it's like this big, you know, gray and green both have four years of eligibility left. And like you said, you mentioned Turner about as being a guy that they're excited about. Yeah. I mean, he's a guy like we posted a couple weeks ago. Uh, he's already walked in. He's one of the fastest players on the roster. You know, I know one of the concerns about him as a recruit was about his, I think he had like a, a bad shuttle time or something. I, I don't know. But that was not what Michigan saw with him. Not to mention he had a great senior season at IMG. I mean, I was always really surprised that he didn't see some bump. I mean, this guy had offers from a lot of big programs. Now, when he committed to Michigan, was he like a take for Alabama? I don't know about that. But there were a lot of big schools that definitely would have taken him at that point still. You know, this is, I don't know, kind of had an interesting profile for a guy that didn't really move up. I mean, you played IMG, you're playing against top competition all year long. Mm-hmm. He had a really good senior year. You know, like I said, he had a big offer sheet, but really just stayed the same. So, but he'd be the, he'd be another guy to watch. And again, I'm not trying to not mention Jalen Perry. I just know that Michigan is really, really excited about Turner and what he can bring to the table. Right, because Zordich said, I think it was actually in the Perry question, I, if I recall, and you could speak better to this, Perry was kind of a let's teach him everything, and then and then we can see what, what he looks like then, like a little bit of a fair. little bit of a build him up, and then and then see what we have, which is yep. what a lot of these cornerback recruits were. I mean, these long limbed. I know some of them are at safety as well, but you know these long limbed, kind of lower rated but athletic bodies that Don Brown and, and Mike Zordich can kind of tinker and see what position works best, teach him the technique. Because you can teach the technique. You can't teach, you know, 6'2 with a wingspan of 6'5 or something like that. So it's uh, it'll be interesting. It's an interesting time. Do you, I guess, do you, so you, you had, you're with me on Hill, Thomas, Gray. Is, who, is your fourth? Fourth would be green right now, I think. Okay, okay. So we also had it's a question. Sure, yeah, like does Kelly Powell stick at that strictly corner? Yeah, that's the thing with him, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of feel for him a little bit. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I hope lot, I hope know? Michigan like, lets him just stick, but right, right. I mean, he should go where he should be in the two. He he he. How do you say it? Like sometimes guys like that are almost a, a victim of being so versatile, right? I mean, and that's not a knock on them. That's like a compliment on them is that, you know, in a spot where they may need a death, may have needed death at one point or another, you know, he's always been, you know, Kelly Powell, I think his, one of his biggest strengths in high school was that he was very intelligent player, you know, very smart player knows where to be, knows what spot to be in when, that type of stuff. You know, as a guy like that, they can, who and also had like a wide variety of ability as far as, yeah, can cover a little bit, can play that safety spot too. You know, it's like, it's almost like kind of unlucky, you know, that he had so many different abilities. Right. Because you know, I feel right. like it's kind of, it's forced 
not forced, but where Michigan has needed some depth, you know, they've been able to shift him around because he's capable, but then he's never really, I never really gotten that opportunity to kind of shine in one spot. So, you know, for him, I'm just interested to see if, if he does, if he does get to stay, I, I, I kind of see him as a nickel, um, but you know, that remains to be seen. Well, we also got a question. Uh, you kind of answered half of it, but Michael McClendon wants to know any chance the green brothers play this year. So, I think there's a shot for Jamon. I don't yeah. know so much about German Green, though. Um, safety's Ger- going to be really interesting. Yeah, before you answer, we also got a question about safety. Who will start at the second safety spot opposite Metellus? Um, I mean, that's Brad Hawkins is the guy right now, I would imagine, but I yeah. think everyone's waiting that, you know, that it's an, a when, not if type deal with Dax and Hill, though. That being said, I'm, never, I'm not going to sleep on Brad Hawkins, though. He's a guy who just learned how to play the position. He is way more athletic than I think people realize. Uh, you know, I still look back at that Notre Dame game after Metellus got ejected and, and Hawkins came in, and, and I know Notre Dame scored a touchdown on the play, but he very nearly made an amazing play. I mean, and this was a guy who was fresh off of the bench and it was playing a spot he'd never played before. You know, and missed that jump ball by about half an inch, you know, to make a huge, huge play in a, in a big game to, to begin the season. So I know the staff has always really liked Hawkins a lot, you know, but again, yeah, I mean, I, it just, just uh, does kind of just feel like a, when will it be Daxon Hill, not will it be Daxon Hill, more like when, you know, so, um, but to begin the year, I don't know if they can just throw them right in there and, you know, but like you said, they're not, there shouldn't be any major hurry there. Right. So, right. You know, they'll be able to let him acclimate himself. And he's also a guy that probably will be a factor at the nickel spot, too, I would assume. I, I got it. I, I got to think there's a put-him-on-the-field element, too. Well, there there is, and I, I think if you're Michigan, you know, I could be wrong here, but I, I think if you're Michigan, it, it, it wouldn't be the worst outcome if Hawkins came into fall camp and had a great fall camp and that you could throw Hill in at the nickel. I mean, you could argue Michigan may be more effective – for Hill early on to play nickel. Because again, like I said, Hawkins is a very athletic guy. He's not your, you know, he, he can, I think his athleticism is his biggest strength. I think it's just getting acclimated to playing safety has been, you know, the biggest challenge. Because again, he really wasn't a safety by trade. At least I never saw him that way. So, uh, and I know Michigan knew that it would be a little, take a little bit of time. So, you know, that might be the best case scenario for them. If, I, if we're being honest, you know, uh, but I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see. Those guys could be interchangeable there, too. I mean, I guess you could see Hawkins at the nickel if Hill impresses enough at safety, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and Hawkins has a little bit more experience at the nickel uh, based on last season in the spring. I feel like if if you're talking philosophically, because I haven't seen what Daxton Hill looks like, but from what we know, his computer time, 40 time, his vertical leap, I think you throw him out there for the first two weeks. Because one thing to keep in mind is you have you have two weeks where you play Middle Tennessee and Army. Army should not be overlooked. They project to be a top 25 team, but they aren't going to be a passing juggernaut. And it's a little safety has to do more than just guard passing plays. But it's I think you throw Hill out there as a starter for two weeks, and then you t- take a look. You see where he is, where he can go, 
But I I think Michigan at its best this season has Daxton Hills at starting safety in a in a sense that he is ready for this and he's ready for this level and ready to make the plays that he can make and not very many other people on the planet can make. I think you take advantage of the easy ease into the schedule because the the Wisconsin will be tough, but you know, and Iowa I think will be tough. But the big the big heavy hitters on the schedule, Penn State on the road, Notre Dame, Ohio State. That's all in the back half of the season. Right. So I would say that's a good point about how they handle the pro. Like just they yeah. No, that's not a bad point. It's a little bit different this year. You know, that they, they have a little bit more time. You know, it's like last, you know, that usually have started out the season with a tougher, at least within the first couple of weeks, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and this, so the schedule setup, I guess, does lend itself to a little more flexibility as far as how they, who they throw on the field when, what spots they throw them out. You know what I mean? I mean, not to, again, not to discredit the first few teams that they play this year, but it's a lot different, you know, getting Middle Tennessee State, an army to open up at home is way different than going on the road in South Bend to open the season. I mean, let alone it ended up being a team that went to the playoffs, right? Right, so, right. Um, no, Michigan's you know. first three weeks are Middle Tennessee at home, Army at home, bye week. I think that that might be worth, I might do a little bit of digging this week to see if that changes how Michigan approaches fall camp because suddenly your position battles – you know, you don't have to make a snap decision. You can, if you're not certain, you can rep them both, you know, at the various position right. groups where there might be battles. So Donovan Jeter, Michael Dwemfor say they're battling for the second defensive tackle spot. Well, you can probably, you get basically a chance to reevaluate because your bye week, you're not, not going to have too many injuries. People aren't, you know, you don't need to treat it as much of a rest. That can be a, almost like a mini camp where you have five more practices and you're evaluating and taking a peek at things. But um, so yeah, green brother, Jermon at corner could German German. Haven't heard like, haven't like heard the same thing. So again, okay. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like that, that doesn't, I always say when I write anything team related, if I hear, if I'm hearing one thing about somebody, it doesn't mean that other guys aren't doing it. You know what I mean? It's just like you, because the team tidbits are usually a little bit tougher to come by, you you post what you know, and it doesn't mean anything about posting something about X doesn't mean that Y and Z aren't emerging or couldn't potentially emerge as well. But mm-hmm. I think the chances, I think, are, are better for Jamon than German this season. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, they have four years of eligibility left. It's not... I think we had this talk on the radio show today that sometimes recruits, if they aren't producing in year one or year two, they get they get the B word, they get labeled bust. And it's like, well, you know, Chase Winovich didn't do anything for his first two years. Mo Hurst did very little in his first two years. Uh, you know, you could go down the list. Nico Collins barely played his freshman year. You know, so it's... Sometimes you see it as a sophomore, but it's not uncommon, especially I feel like on the defensive side of the ball. I think it's not uncommon for that for for players to emerge their third year in college. So if they don't play, not a huge deal. Uh let's let's talk quarterback a little bit. Our other question is 
What does Shea need to improve on from last season? What would it take to bench Shea aside from an injury? Okay. Um, (laughs) I do think, and I'll talk about this more in the Big Ten Media Days podcast, but I think Harbaugh's going to pitch quarterback battle. I don't I don't think he's going to say outright Shea's the starter. I I actually think he is outright the starter. I think it would be I would be very surprised if anyone else was starting. But Steve, regarding what he needs to improve upon, he actually had a sound season last year. I, you know, he, I think the Florida game and the Ohio State game were were not good, but they weren't good for anyone on the team. And and he was, I mean, they were missing players on both sides of the ball, and they were in hostile environments. I mean, I I don't know if the Peach Bowl counts as hostile, but it was eighty percent Florida fans. It was, uh, you know, a team that was way more excited to be there than Michigan was. And so I'm not sure how much I look into that. And Ohio State, I mean, it's in Columbus in late November. If you're counting on your quarterback being perfect in that kind of setting, you might have bigger problems. But what does he need to improve upon? I I think he could improve on his decision-making a little bit, when to leave the pocket, when not to. When to run, when not to. I think. I think being I, with the I, that, was, that was the first thing I was thinking. I think being with the same offensive personnel, same receivers and linemen, will help with that. Some of that trust and knowing. Okay, what does it mean when Ben Bredesen lets a guy by versus when Michael and Wayne lets a guy by? And then I think I, I got to think Gaddis is a little bit more equipped to coach that kind of quarterback. And I know, I know Pep Hamilton has coached a variety of offenses, but. I, I think Gaddis has coached a few more players who are Shea Patterson-like, kind of that quasi, not quite dual threat, but can run. Yep. And then, to, um, I, I forgive me, I don't I don't know Tua's height, but Trace McSorley is another quarterback. I know Gaddis didn't work with the quarterbacks, but who's a little bit shorter, undersized, six one. And the only reason that's significant is that if all of your linemen are six six, you know you don't necessarily see over the offensive line as easily. So you do it does sometimes behoove you to either go further back in the pocket, maybe a seven step drop, or leave the pocket so you can see some of the players downfield a little bit more easily. Um, and I think Gaddis has worked with offenses and quarterbacks who have more of those types of players, whereas Pep Hamilton. It's been a lot of NFL kind of guys, Andrew Luck, you know, players who are in the NFL and all of his time as an NFL offensive coordinator. So I think it's a better fit for coordinator. So I think I think a lot of the improvements that he should make can be made. I know the one thing is arm strength. I actually felt like one thing Shea did very well is when he did miss, I thought he had what's called productive misses. I know that's like a baseball term, like the the productive ball, like a like an O2 pitch where you try to get the guy chasing. You know, yeah, you missed the strike zone, but he also didn't hit it. And so I felt like he had some productive misses. 
I'm trying to think. I really think the offense needs to improve more than Shea needs to improve. Like they need to. I, I agree. They need the throws up, you know, in kind of in that middle of the field. That's Shea's bread and butter. I think fades down the sideline probably need to be a thing of the past a little bit. Um, it's, you know, the red zone offense. I think because Shea's strengths are spin and accuracy. That was what made him a five star. Not I mean, he's not six five. He doesn't doesn't have Joe Milton's arm or Dylan McCaffrey's speed, but he he's very precise. And I think I think they could capitalize that. And you know, he's got a quick delivery, um, good quarterback instincts. Again, we talked about run run versus throw and when to leave the pocket, when not to. But I think his his sense for when a player is going to be open is strong. And so I think they need to capitalize on that and maybe have him throw some more in traffic. I know Harbaugh's always been interception averse, more so than other coaches, but I don't know. I feel like that's his strength. I mean, if if Wil- if Wilton Spate, who has no skin in the game, comes back to Ann Arbor for Pro Day and says he felt like Shea Patterson was handcuffed by the offense last season, I think that suggests that maybe it's not a Shea problem. Maybe it really was an offense problem. And I, I'd have to agree, you know, what what incentive is there for him to make a comment like that unless, you know, it's true from space position? Always appreciated how candid, he's always been a real candid guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's really no incentive for him to make that comment unless it's legitimate. So, and it's hard not to agree. I think one of the biggest things is there were a couple things, you know, really not a lot of, Creativity is, from my in my opinion, from like in that like five to ten yard range as far as getting guys the ball. Uh, I agree to an extent with some of those about you know with the long developing routes. You know, as far as it not being really, I don't know if it's was is Patterson's strength or not. You know, well, neither he nor McCaffrey, I think, our our evaluators will rate quarterbacks, at least the highly rated ones on a 1 to 10 scale and both of them I mean they were both top 150 prospects and Shea was a five star I think they both got sevens on arm strength so it's not like they're they're right. slinging all they over the place it, but... but right yeah, I know what you mean and that's and that's you know I look at him much more like a and I'm not saying that he's as, as good but like much more of a Mayfield type guy you know, I think, and I think one of the other, one of the bigger things I've, I see between those two that I think is comparable is I, I think Shea's a rhythm kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Where if he starts hitting passes, I think he's the kind of guy that can catch fire a little bit, sort of like a three-point shooter. You know, but and that's why, like early on in the game, you know, it's always one of the things was Michigan, I think, didn't do a good enough job of, again, just maybe getting some throwing in a couple simple routes to get him a few easy throws and get the game going and kind of get him warm. Um, Gaddis's offense seems to lend itself to more, that being more of a possibility. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see if that's the route that they take. Again, I'm not saying he is Baker Mayfield by any means. Uh, he'd have to have a massive season to even enter that conversation. But I do see some similarities in that regard. I think Mayfield was a guy that I feel like would just, you know, would get completely into a rhythm. And, now, and if they get into a rhythm, as long as they have enough time to throw the ball, then the defenses can be in trouble. And I think Patterson's got that potential. 
I just don't think Michigan last year. You know, it was either it was either a long developing route or a bubble screen. And you know, there, like I said, there really wasn't a lot of mid range uh, or like even low range creativity in the passing game. And if there was, it was mostly him improvising after a play breaks down. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that's one. And again, I don't know if is that something he needs to improve on, not necessarily. And that's why I think that's been the common theme. It was like I just posted in the VIP chat about it. It's kind of the common theme. It was like we're never like people ask like, what is the, what are the what's the team think or what do they think about the new offense so far? And it's like you know people in our position, we're never gonna hear like they hate it. It's uh, you know right right they hate it they hate it it's terrible they don't want to do it but they do it anyway you know like we're never gonna get that kind of feedback. It's usually gonna be positive, uh, but the one common theme is that it really seems to fit not just Patterson, but it seems to fit their quarterback room as a whole. You know, this offense does. So it'll be interesting, you know, to see, because I agree. I think, I think, you know, that's the other reason I'm not as concerned about running back as other people. While they may, they could easily get a guy who breaks out, you know, between Turner and Charbonnet, I think the potential is there. Mm-hmm. But with forward, with the offensive line, with having experience at quarterback, offensive line and receiver, that means it should, that should be the focal point of your offense. And if it can be, you know, then the, the running game will thrive off of the passing game where in a lot of times it's sometimes it's the opposite, you know, where you run the ball well, you're able to pass it. But uh, with Patterson, I think, you know, get him some early, early rhythm throws, kind of get him warm and then let him kind of take off from there. Yeah. Yeah. I think I look at him as a probable top 15, honestly, probably a top 10 quarterback this season i agree and so i mean his efficiency numbers i mean he's top top 30 in every efficiency number and that was with i mean he, he returns every receiver other than grant perry you know he loses zach gentry but you get a healthy Tariq black plus you add sandra still giles jackson more ronnie bell Plus, you have four returning offensive line starters. I, I think there's a lot of lot of lot of arrows pointing up in Patterson's corner. Uh, Michael also asked, "What would it take to bench Shea aside from an injury?" Um, well, it's certainly not going to be a fan vote. <laughs> I do not. Right. I the people who want McCaffrey, I have yet to. You're going to have to show me more evidence. Uh, it's you're just you're just hypothesizing, and it's it's something. College sports fans love to do. I mean, isn't the isn't the phrase the most popular guy on campus is the backup quarterback because he hasn't shown that he can lose yet. Um, so it's uh, as far as benching him aside from injury, I I guess if he really just looks out of it, but he no, I just, yeah no, just somebody if. if Somebody have to, he'd have to be significantly outperformed in fall camp. Like that's really the only that's that's about it. Harbaugh's pretty simple about it. Best player will play, but I do think a guy who has experience is going to have a longer leash though too. You know, it's not as if like if McCaffrey has, let's say McCaffrey comes out and has maybe he grades out a little bit higher on the coach's board. I don't think that means that he's necessarily would be the starter because that experience matters. You know, and and. Uh, Again, this is the funny thing. This is all a great problem, yeah, for Michigan to have. I mean, that's 
like I said, the first, this is the first time in, I think, years, last year a little bit, but even more so this year, that, you know, they are deep up front and they're deep at quarterback, which mm-hmm. are two of the most important positions that you want to be, you know, we broke experienced it. at. We broke it down today, and I kind of I did peek around when I ranked the quarterbacks Michigan will face this season. Michigan probably has the best backup quarterback in the Big Ten. I don't know. It, I guess it depends on how you feel about Graham Mertz or, well, Ohio State and Penn State lost their backups to transfer. You know, how do you feel about Isaiah Williams or Tyrell Pigrome or Rocky Lombardi? No. Uh, I mean, right, right, yeah. Top to bottom, Michigan, I, I'm sorry, but I don't. It, it may be by a lot. To be honest with you, uh, as far as like the quarterback room from from top to bottom, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean that's you talk about Ohio State, man. Like Justin Fields has a ton of pressure on him walking in there. I mean, their whole season may rest on what on his performance and then most certainly his health. Yeah, I, I know they're talented everywhere else, but. I'm telling you, if he gets hurt or he struggles, they are in, they're in trouble. You know that they, they, they are gonna they'll drop a game or two that they would not have normally dropped if he doesn't come out and play. Well, and most teams level. most teams are in that boat. You right. know, it's and, Michigan, like Michigan in 2017. Year, right? right, right, right. It's but I don't see they haven't even recruit like they like those both of both Martell and Baldwin transferring like that really you know, makes that quarter that quarterback room all of a sudden is, you know, I don't know. Yeah, this is top to bottom. Well, yeah, Michigan at the quarterback room is just in a great spot. And, you know, is the day going to come where it gets too crowded? I, I kind of think it's hard not to. It's about you see what's happened across college football. Yeah. Well, I pointed you know, out and, in my story, there are ways you can manage it. And that's where I think Harbaugh – I think the f- quickest way to piss off backup quarterbacks is – not take the competition part seriously. Because I know Harbaugh gets a lot of heat for always saying it's a competition, but technically it always is a competition. That's not just a Harbaugh thing. That's like college football across the board. Any Every coach, you know, quarterbacks have competitions, but, but how long do they let the competition go on? How seriously do the coaches seem to take alternative options? And that's where I think Harbaugh is going to say it's a competition, really try to hammer that home. Maybe I'm wrong. I could look really silly here, but I think he's going to hammer that home at Big Ten Media Days because you don't want you don't want Joe Milton or Dylan McCaffrey walking into camp like, well, I don't have a shot at starting this year. You know, that's just not that's not good for business. And I I think last year they combined for what 19 pass attempts in 12 games. You could give them a lot more than that. You could give them way more than 1.5 pass attempts per game. I mean, they. I think they should each. I think you could argue in games that Michigan wins by double digits, they should each get a series where they're throwing. I, I and that's that'll be. That's the one way you can juggle it. You know, is to continually give them legitimate opportunities. You know, someone in the chat actually asked today about, you know, would they let McCaffrey in on in situations where the game may still be not in doubt, but maybe within reach. Do you think he could get the Tate Martell package? Maybe a little bit 
less of a Tate Martell package, but maybe a little bit of a red zone point, threat. At some point, you have to do something, you know, you because ha- I mean, you're talking McCaffrey's in his third season, though. you know, and you get right. so you got to give him something. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, these with this transfer portal, which again, it's the portal is not really any different than what it's been. It's just that things are way more public now. But I do think that it has, I think it's manifested itself in the idea that like people, even the players themselves are now seeing how many names jump in. Yeah. When you don't have to ask your coach to sign off on it now, which some players, some players will walk in and say, Jim, I'm leaving, sign it. Or I'm not playing, but like a lot, some players, you can talk them back into it. I mean, I think right. wasn't it Charles oh, Woodson that got talked back famous. into it? Yeah, I think Chris Perry was one. There had been a lot in, throughout Michigan's history. Some Anthony Carter, older, yeah, older members of our board might know a little bit more, but I do know, yeah, that Perry was always one I remember. You know, and then he turned out, and then he comes out and wins the Dope Walker. So, um, so yeah, yeah, I think um, yeah. in my yeah. opinion, I think they should do that, and this will probably be close to the end of end of this because we got some recruiting questions too but my my thing is dylan mccaffrey should be should have his own package in and he should play in every single game and he should have his own package a market commodity that makes him a part of the team's success and joe milton should be treated they should start building the hype for joe milton let him let him air it out let him show off his arm it doesn't have to be necessarily against Wisconsin or Iowa if those are close games, but every game that they're up by 10, he should get a series and they should throw. They shouldn't just have him hand it off because that at least is going to get fans excited about him. And I don't know, I, I, I can't speak for him, but if I were a player, having fans excited about me or, or praising me for something I did at the end of the game, that's going to feel way better than me coming in for handoffs and the coach telling me I did a nice job handing the ball off. So it's um those would be my my solutions for both of them. I I still think there is I mean that's just the way college football goes now. You know, it's hard to hard to have three quarterbacks that you that that are future starters. It's hard to have three of them on the team at the same time and not lose one. Clemson, Alabama, Georgia have all lost five-star quarterbacks in the last two years right. due to transfer. I mean, Georgia's lost two. They've lost more five-star quarterbacks than most teams will ever recruit. And so, <laughs> it's... Uh, anyway, we, we should get some lightning round recruiting questions here. Um, Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Here we go. Oh, now we got people criticizing the podcast, saying you're too quiet and the intro music is too loud. Anyway. Uh, that was one of the questions that popped in. Yeah, a couple of the ones in the past since we started recording. Uh, Jordan Eggleston says, any chance Michigan takes Macari Page and Malcolm Green, giving them three safeties, potentially four depending on Moten's position in this class? 
Uh, Moten. Okay, yeah, no. Green is green is interchangeable. Okay. Cornerback or safety. So, and green is one thousand percent a take for them, no matter what. I mean, I'd be shocked if all the guys for them that they've recruited at defensive back, he's the one I'd be most surprised if they turned away. Um, Jordan also asks, do you see a potential for Michigan to take the Clemson route and recruit safeties and bulk them up and move them to linebacker? Um, I mean, it's always a possibility. I guess it is with the Viper, right? That's kind of the gateway. Page is a guy I I could see. You know, the same thing. They're still recruiting Elijah Gaines, too, out of Virginia. I think both of those guys are that type of guy who can – you know, bulk up a little bit, maybe play that Viper spot. You know, it's a little bit more that longer, sort of like an Isaiah Simmons at Clemson, which is which is what Michigan wanted to do with him. He's an All-American now. Uh, you know, that was like those. I'd say that like that one. That one I remember is a that was a miss for Michigan. That one that one stung because I think they knew they had a star, and uh, you know, because he was really under recruited. And Michigan and Clemson were really the two schools that had a beat on him pretty early, and, and Clemson you know, did a pretty good job there and, and, and got the win, and, and now he's turned into a stud. But, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think there's a definite possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially as you try to get more Devin Bush-type linebackers, speed guys, and I think Cleek Hudson's a pretty good example. I mean, he looks like a linebacker now. You know, I know he'll play Viper and probably still edges towards safety as far as what position he'll play down the road, but... Um, when you see him, he looks like a he just looks like a more compact linebacker, which is where the position is going in the NFL too. Uh, Michael McClendon wants to know: Is Miles Hinton is that a, is a flip there in play? Uh, I don't know. They're still recruiting him, as I said they would with the day he committed to Stanford. But you know, Chris Chris stayed stayed faithful to Michigan throughout the process. I'd just, I'd be really, I'd be pretty surprised. He's going to be up for, he's going to be up for a couple games to watch his brother. They're going right. to stay on him because they should, because he's really good and because mm-hmm. his brother plays on the team. But it's not one that, you know, I'd be like upset about if they don't do it, you know, like criticizing the staff if they don't do it or something like that. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, again, if he's like his brother, he's going to stick. So, and I don't mean if he doesn't stick, that doesn't mean, you know, you know what I mean, though. It's like, you know, they're they're very serious about commitment. Like mm-hmm. I said, Chris stayed, stayed true to Michigan the whole time. And uh, I have not really heard anything tangible to suggest that Miles isn't going to be the same. So what should Michigan's, well, I guess their approach is, like, like what, what would Michigan, is there anything Michigan can do other than change his mind that will help him change his mind? Like, like do they need to be, does Michigan need to be more successful on the field? Do they need to approach the academic side differently? Do they? Does Chris Man. need to have a great experience and and relay that? That is one of the. That's a potential wild card. Is something like that. Okay. Because, but I also know, like his brother's not going to push him either. But sure. if he's enjoying it a lot, you know, vibes with the staff, vibes with the current with the other players, you know, and and raves about his experience there. I think that would probably be a better chance for them than anything else. But again, I also know I can tell you for a fact that he's not going to like press him on anything like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys are pretty straight up about the process, and um, 
you know, it's like I wouldn't push my brother necessarily. You know, I, I don't right. know if I was right. in that position. I would, if they came, that'd be awesome. But I, you know, they you also gotta kind of let them make their own decision too, which was what Chris said about Miles's recruitment the entire time. So, and I think the thing with these recruiting decisions, like they're all good decisions. Like, you know, it's not like there's some right. school out there that you're throwing your life away by playing on scholarship for, or at least, right. you know. A kid, a kid who can go to, like, who's choosing between Stanford and Michigan is in good, a great spot. Well, yeah, and both you know, schools like, have produced linemen in, in, in the yeah. NFL. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, and Stanford's got a crop that 17, 18, the Walker Littles, Foster Sarrells, I mean, they recruited, that was one of the best offensive line classes ever, so I suspect that they'll be pumping a few more guys in the draft here in the next yeah. couple of years. So, yeah. um, so we shall so see. Yeah. Uh, we got one last question just in the last few minutes, and this can be our closing question. What game are we, you and I, excited for the most, no definition, but uh, to watch this year can be home away, excludes OSU, MSU. I th- oh. Notre Dame, right? I mean, Notre Dame, that's the one that's for you. Got to be if you have to exclude Ohio State and Michigan State. I think Notre Dame would be the natural answer, wouldn't it? I mean, I think maybe so. Penn State, right? I mean, but I would say Notre Dame for sure. I mean, Michigan want to probably try to exercise some revenge in that game a little bit. I think, by and large, I think they outplayed Notre Dame in the second half. It's just that Notre Dame outplayed them badly in the first quarter you know and we're really kind of able to ride that home mm-hmm. you know so i think it should be a really good game they're going to be an interesting team this year i don't really know what to think about them um they right. could be really good they could be really good again uh, it's just you know i think ian book is a potential all-american type guy yep. at quarterback yep he's very good and, uh yeah and so and you know michigan didn't even really face him last year so there is that you know but it'll be uh I think they have some defensive pieces that they have to replace. Mm-hmm. But but that'd be the game I would circle. Here's the other thing, too, about that is, like, I'd say as things stand right now, there is not another program in the country that Michigan is continuously going head-to-head with on the recruiting trail. Hmm. So from that standpoint, you know, that may be a game where the stakes are – again, I don't think most kids are going to make the decision based off of one game, but it, oh, it definitely isn't going to hurt if you come out of that game on top. Right. You know, well, that'll if, be a night game almost certainly. It's 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 setting up. I'd be I'm I would go on the record and say I'd be very surprised if it wasn't because we're already starting to hear of uh, multiple like recruits and stuff where that's the game they're coming to. That is as good an indication as any that that's a night, that that's a game they're targeting for at night. Well, and so. both teams could be six and zero. I haven't looked at Notre Dame's schedule, but they're very good, and so they could be six and zero and or however many games it is, Michigan, if they can get past Wisconsin and, and Iowa, I think they could be undefeated too. So that could be a, uh, you know, I know I know fans were annoyed that Michigan played Notre Dame midseason at home and Notre Dame got them to open the season, but there might be some perks to both teams having proven themselves a little bit. Uh, Notre Dame gets they're, uh, at Georgia oh, in week well. three. <laughs> And then they, so uh, it'll either be USC. really, really electric or still yeah, pretty electric. USC at, USC at home. Okay. Okay. Uh, don't know what don't know what SC is going to be this year, but 
See, their schedule looks way more manageable than it did last year, but then I also feel like they're playing a lot of the same teams, so it doesn't really make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, no, that could be – I mean, we'll say they could be 6-0, but winning in Georgia will be pretty difficult, I feel like. I mean, they got – I guess, yeah, you go at Georgia, at Michigan, at Stanford. I mean, those are three pretty difficult road games. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for me – Obviously, Notre Dame makes a lot of sense as the choice. I always enjoy fun experiences in this job as someone who gets to go on the road and gets to cover these road games. So Michigan Stadium, I mean, it's you know a couple blocks from my apartment. I, I have seen it and I've done it. Not that it, it still isn't a fun event to cover, but uh, the road games get me a little bit more fired up. I'm excited to see Madison because every time I've gone to Madison, I've covered football, basketball I don't think I've covered hockey I've almost covered it a few times but every time I've gone it's been November and dead there and it's it's been a really dreary setup for for a town that I've been told really rivals Ann Arbor as far as Midwest college towns so it's I'm excited to see it it'll be what late September um you know probably turn it into a to a weekend we'll see but I'm excited to see that, and you know, it's, it's. I know it's going to be a noon game, but it's still going to be a good atmosphere because Wisconsin doesn't. They don't face, you know, Michigan's high up on their their opponents that they face year in year out, so that'll be a big game. And then Penn State, if you haven't been to a Penn State whiteout, either do or don't, depending on you know how scared you would be. But it, it is such a. It's still the most intense sports atmosphere I've covered, and I've covered a lot you know michigan games ohio state games final fours um college world series technically um penn state it's just something else man it is it's scary and awesome at the same time you know they they show up and the stadium's full an hour early everyone is singing every single song that the dj plays it's like a hundred and ten thousand that are so in sync and loud um so that's always a cool atmosphere to see and it'll be interesting because I, I don't know if Penn State's going to be quite as good as they were the last time I was down there, but it, they, they could be, they could be, you know, maybe the third best team in the Big Ten yet again. So, uh, yeah, those they're are a mystery, mystery team. I feel like yeah, this year. yeah. We'll we'll do a little bit more Big Ten preview down the sure. line. Maybe maybe in, in after Big Ten media days we can do Big Ten power rankings or something. But. Anyway, uh, for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Check out all of our stories at themichiganinsider.com and michigan.247sports.com. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. See you next time.